Amen. Church, you may be seated, either in your pews or on the offering rail. Either, either one, either one. Um, this morning is is very uh, difficult for me because uh, this being my last Sunday service with you all, this is um, this is a goodbye of sorts. And so, with a heavy heart, I stand before you all and, and say thank you for. Uh, the past six years of being able to to be a uh, servant of the church, and so I, I thank you for that. And um, and it, it's really it's wonderful that uh, we started off with like the clapping for me at the beginning of the service, and y'all didn't even hear the the sermon. It could be like really rough on you. So I mean, you but you've already clapped for me, so thank you for that. I appreciate it. Um, we're going to be going to a. Part in the, the scriptures that really has a special place in my heart, and, and so much so, I'm, I'm an Old Testament uh, kind of guy. I enjoy the Old Testament, and my youth group knows this, and so uh, I brought something to, to be a symbol for us. I brought a ram's horn. This was used uh, by the Israelites and um, by the Hebrew people to call individuals to worship. Oh, hi, baby. I know. She's a preacher's kid. There's grace for that. <laughs> she just wants to be up here helping me, and that's how it goes. So, But I have this to remind us that we are part of a long lineage of faith. It's not just us here where we're at in Georgetown in 2023, but we are a part of such a long history of faith and of belief. And so I think that that's good for us to remind ourselves that we are uh, a part of, of a story that went on so far before us and will continue to go on after us. Um, and so this morning, uh, we are going to be looking, uh, I hope that you've picked up, you can just look at the bulletin and see that we are uh, heavy on the calling, heavy on uh, God of Abraham praise. And so we're going to be talking about the original call of Abram, who later is known as Father Abraham. Had many sons. We know this, right? Um, and so that is who we are talking about and learning about this morning. But uh, we're not learning about necessarily the, the, really the pinnacle of Abraham's faith where he had Isaac on the altar. But we're going back to the original call. Because as I will get to this morning... When we say yes to God, that is a lifelong calling. It doesn't just start and it doesn't just end, but it is a continuous call. And so, uh, please join me in reading our scripture this morning, which we find in Genesis 12. Genesis 12, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 9. So hear now the word of God. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. 
and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took his wife Sarai and his brother's son Lot and all the possessions that they had gathered and the persons whom they had acquired in Haran. And they set forth to go to the land of Canaan. When they had come to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved on to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and invoked the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on by stages towards the Negev. Church, this truly is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, fill this place. Let my words not be mine, but God, your words through me. Use me as an instrument for your peace and your love in shepherding your people. God, speak through me, speak with me, and most of all, Lord, speak in spite of me. Let our hearts be receptive to your message, your word. And let us be molded to be your hands and feet on earth. It's in your son's holy and precious name we pray all these things. Amen. I think I'm going to do something different today. I'm going to stand behind the pulpit the whole time. Just kidding. <laughs> no, I can't do that. Um, the joke is if I sit on my hands, I won't be able to talk. So that's just how it goes. Um, I have a question for you all. My adventurous folks, you may know what this is, but, but if not, who here knows what repelling is by a show of hands? You, that's, a good, that's a good portion of people. The 830, we had a little collection of, of hands raised, but if you don't know what repelling is, then you are just like sixth grade Marcus, who just joined Boy Scouts and signed up for something that he didn't know necessarily what he was going to be doing. And so I was all excited and ready to fit in with my uh, fellow teenagers. And so I said, sure, I'll go rappelling. Not sure what that is, but sounds fun. The Boy Scouts are doing it right. So we get all uh, locked in uh, into our vans and we drive down, actually uh, down close to here at Red River Gorge. And we set up camp and uh, it's fairly good weather. Um, and so then we set up our camp and we get back in our vans and we say, okay, we're going to go rappelling now. And I, again, I'm still like, oh, okay, but I didn't ask many questions. I just was along for the ride, you know, call it ignorance is bliss, right? Like, okay. 
So we end up driving into a, a, a little clearing where we had these rock faces up um, around us. And so we get out of the van and, and we all kind of single file hike up to this little clearing. And we're looking over at, um, at the ground below. And I start to notice some things. I, I notice that there's a team of people down um, on the ground that have these ropes and everything. And they're kind of fiddling with it. And I'm like, oh, well, okay, I guess we're going to go up here to eat like lunch or something. I was getting pretty hungry. So... And then what I realized is there's another team up here on this cliff. I said, okay. Then they start strapping us into, uh, into to, uh, ropes and into uh, harnesses. And then I really start to get worried because I'm, I'm starting to think that rappelling has something to do uh, with, with heights, something that I'm deathly afraid of. And so, you know, I'm a pretty bright guy, so I start to put two and two together. And so we're in single file line, and, and uh, uh, eventually I, I learned that we're going to leave this solid ground that I'm so fond of, and we're going to choose uh, to, to descend down this little, maybe 45, 50 foot uh, rock face. And at that point, I have a decision. I can be that kid that goes, uh, or I can, I can go along and strike up some courage, and, and I, I will call it my social anxiety of not wanting to uh, uh, not fit in. So I say, you know what? What the heck? I'll try it out anyways. So friend after friend after friend goes, and finally it comes my turn. And so I get strapped into the rope. And the way that they do it, I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever, experience this, you have to kind of face away from where you're going to be going, and you have your, your heels are, are off of the, the side of the cliff, and so you're kind of teetering, and you're supposed to lean back, and then you kind of sit down, and, and as you release rope, you kind of go down, and people, people that are really good at it, they look so graceful. <laughs> um, fast forward to me, not so much, and so I realize that as I'm hanging off of this cliff, I make the decision, wrongly, to kind of peer back. Uh-oh, that was all she wrote. And so then I step forward and I say, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. And I'm drenched in sweat and I'm nervous and my fight or flight reflexes are really kicking in and drilling's pumping. And I remember my, my scout master, um, he ended up pulling me aside and he said, Marcus, these ropes, they can support an elephant hanging off this cliff. You will be no problem. It's not going to snap. It's not going to break. And in traditional price fashion of having to dispel uh, situations with humor when we're nervous, I said, well, I'd love to see the elephant go down first. And then maybe I will trust that um, I will be able to, to survive. And, and I remember thinking, uh, he said, Marcus, you have to trust that this rope is going to do what this rope is meant to do. And so even though I believed that this was going to be the end of old Marcus Montgomery Price II, I was going to plummet to a tragic and early death, I trusted the words of my scoutmaster and I trusted the equipment that I had put myself into. And as I was faced with this, this, you know, either you go down or you stay up there, I took my first steps, waiting for something to go wrong. 
waiting to hear the snap or, or to feel the release of the rope and, and waiting for something bad to happen, but nothing did. So then I take a couple more uh, steps. And at this point, I am basically perpendicular to this cliff face. And I'm standing there. Again, like I said, some people look very graceful doing this. <laughs> Not so much me. I was more of like just kind of walking down the <laughs> cliff. But I remember thinking I needed to trust in something that was beyond my control. And it's that image that, that kept reoccurring to me as I read this passage over and over and over again. What is the image that I found Abram and his, his wife Sarai in? I, I really kept going back to that image of me on a cliff trusting in things that were outside of my control. Things that I knew was probably uh, safe, but I still had to have the faith to believe in it. Good. So, this morning we are going to be talking about one of the highest exalted individuals, probably I say it goes between him and Moses in the Old Testament, okay? But we're talking about a figure that is so uh, almost mythical in his faith and belief that sometimes I don't think that we remember that this is a human being, this is a person that had feelings and had emotions, but God still called and God still used this this man, and because of that, his story is laid out for us to look at and, and to want to emulate in his actions. And so, we're going to be looking at the start of the call of Abram. Now, in the Hebrew Bible, we do not know any kind of background information of Abram. We don't know any, uh, we don't know you know, if he was a believer in Yahweh God, the God of, of, that, that would go on to be the God of the Israelites. We don't know if he had a faith life. We don't know if he was well-liked in his homeland. We don't know anything. The only things that are said about Abram before we get to his story in the Bible is he was the son of Terah, who was his father. He had a wife, Sarai, who was barren. And he had brothers who also had children. That's it. So... When we get these words that God begins to speak to Abram, this is the introduction. This is maybe the first interaction that Abram has ever had with God. And boy, is it a big task that gets put from the very beginning on Abram. The very first words that he hears from God is this. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that I have been able to have a faith journey that has kind of been uh, tippy-toed in. You know, I, I was able to go into the shallow end with children's ministry at my church and, and really grow in my faith uh, with Jesus Christ. That's a big first impression, right? Here's what I need you to do, Abram. You're going to be my guy. I need you to uproot yourself, 
abandon everything that you know, everything that you have grown to love. You get to bring your wife, which was nice. But you have to put all your possessions on a, you know, in some caravan, probably donkeys or mules or something like that. And you have to just trust that the land that I will show you will be uh, as good as I promise it will be. For biblical scholars, what this is, is this is a traditional covenantal agreement. And this happens throughout the Bible. This happens with Noah just a couple chapters earlier where God says, hey, I will help save your family. I will provide for you and get you through the flood. And if you choose to be my guy, then I won't flood all of humanity again. Which sounds like, you know, a bit of a, uh, the offer was too good to refuse. You know, if I was thinking, you know, it's, it's believe in God and I won't uh, demolish all of humanity again. That's a pretty, you know, that's, that's high stakes. But we see this agreement and this covenant um, come uh, throughout the Bible. And it's happening right here. And so Abram is being promised by God, I will bless you, I will keep you, but you have to trust in me. So God puts all that on the table. And I know um, when I first read this, I think, well, that's, that's an extreme example. This is a hyperbole of example. This, this may have even been, um, you know, blown up as such a tremendous ask that it's not even realistic for the common believer. God, to ask you to uproot your family and, and to move across, you know, the country and a, a, into a land that you're not familiar with, like, you know, for me, maybe uh, downtown Louisville. Okay, thank you, God, for that. But I'm reminded that this is not hyperbole. When God asks you to trust in him, he's not just asking you to kind of trust in him. He's not asking you to, to semi-trust in the faith uh, that, that, that has been passed down from generation to generation. God wants you all in. And if you have any doubts, I think about, let's go to the New Testament now, when Jesus had a young, rich ruler standing right in front of him, and he says, hey God, I've done everything that you've asked me to do. I've, I've followed the commandments. I've tried to help the poor. Now what, what more can I do to be a part of your followers? And Jesus says, good job. That's wonderful. I'm so glad that you're able to do all these things. Now the only thing left to do, sell all your possessions. Give all the money to the poor and then open arms. You can come and follow me. So no church, being asked to give everything to God is not a hyperbole. It's not an extreme example. This is the standard. Are we all in or are we all out? And what's beautiful about Abram is that usually when God faces um, People throughout history like Moses or Ezekiel, when God asks, usually what happens? What happened with Moses when, he, uh, when God said, hey, I want you to lead my people? What did Moses say? I'm not a very good speaker. Moses said, I, I can't speak in front of people. When Ezekiel said, God, I don't have the words to speak to the nation about, about your truth. God, what did God do? He made a scroll, gave it to Ezekiel and said, here's my words, eat it. Now you have my words. And so there's usually this pushback. But here's the amazing thing about Abram. Scripture says what his response was. 
When God said, I need you to uproot yourself, to go at the age of 75, guess what? That means none of us are exempt. None of us. But Abram looks at, at, I'm sure he, uh, that would have been a very interesting dinner conversation between Abram and Sarai. Hey, honey, guess where we're going? Not sure, (laughs) but we're going. Because Abram said yes. And that's the first place that I want us to stop and really appreciate the power of yes. Because let it not be mistaken, church, God is calling each and every one of us because when we celebrated the time of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came down and descended, God is closer to us internally than ever before. That means that God is going to continuously call us in our lives. And so we look at these these individuals like Abram and we're reminded about how powerful yes is because if he, I, I don't know if God asked other people before Abram. I don't know if Abram was the third choice or was the first choice. All I know is the reason why we celebrate him is because he said, without a doubt, resoundingly, I will go. And the results are history. The second thing that I want to focus on this morning, and I only have three points, but each one of those points has 17 sub-points, so just hold on. That's a joke. Well, kind of. The second thing I want to make sure that this church understands, because when I talk to the youth and when I talk to my students, I I, I don't just want to say, okay, this is the story, but I also want them to know the what, so what, Okay, And I believe that all of us, much like Abram, are called to do things for God. And and we go on this path of journey and we say yes. Maybe maybe you're at a point right now in your life where you have said yes to God in some capacity. Whether it's to start a ministry here, or to start a new job, or to to move uh, homes, or move locations. But you've said yes. You've followed God. And that is a beautiful thing. But sometimes that journey doesn't necessarily go exactly to plan. Because after Abram took up his family, took all of his possessions, put everyone in a caravan, and here's an aside, I don't know what was going on with Lot's life, but he sure like said, yeah, I'll go. That's just a little aside. I'm very curious about Lot because like he just abandoned him. He wasn't even called, but he like went, maybe he really likes his uncle Abram. I don't know. That's just an aside, but I digress. So Abram puts everyone in this caravan and goes to this land that God has shown him. And, and I imagine that when he gets to this place, which was called the place at Shechem at the Oak of Moray. Does anyone know what that means? I didn't. But I have a wonderful study Bible. It's a John Wesley version of a study Bible. And it has really great footnotes. And so I read what this meant. This place that Abram gets to is kind of an overlook. So he's looking out over the land that God has promised, and he sees a curious sight. There are Canaanites where God has said he was going to be. Uh Uh-oh, SpaghettiOs, the promised land is chocked full of people. Now what? And, and, And it's important for us to realize that This was a problem because he has just moved everything he has 
to follow God, and then he gets to this certain point, and then he says, "Uh uh-oh, I don't have any place to go. And how often do we get halfway through the journey or halfway to the to the you know, place where we feel like God has told us to go and we've prayed about it and we thought about it, but then we get and there's a roadblock. There are Canaanites in the land. Now what? And I'll be honest, I probably would have thrown in the towel. If I'm being honest. Well, seat's taken. Whoops, okay. Now what? Now you're an alien in a foreign place and in a foreign land and you have no no social standing and no relationships to rely on and you only have God. What do you do then? And I'll tell you what Abram did. He talked to God. And God said, don't worry. This land will be your land. But you're going to have to trust me a little bit longer. You're going to have to have a little bit more faith. You're going to have to hang on for the ride. You know, my, one of my deepest spiritual influences is my mother. Who's here? Wave a hand, Mama. I love that. And something that she has to continuously remind both of her pastor sons is this. When we have hardships, or I say, Mama, I'm not going to be able to go to to Asbury any longer, and I I don't know what to do. The bill came through. I can't afford this. I don't know what to do. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be, you know, out of house and home. And she reminds me constantly that if God has brought you to a certain place and you are following him, God is not going to just abandon you halfway through. Right? Right, church? And what a reminder for us that when we have situations, because let me be honest, I'll I'll be, uh, you know, get mad at me or whatever. I'm gone. So (laughs) we have been through a really tough time this past year. When I was sitting at conference with Pastor Kathleen and Pastor Rebecca and Pastor Tom, and we were all sitting there, and it it was wonderful to kind of look down the line and see all the different pastoral influences that we've had at this church. I looked down, and I said, we've had a weird year. It has been a lot of ups and downs and all kinds of arounds, and there's been curveballs, and things have been thrown at us, and we've had conversations that that just were, were confusing and conflicting, and we've been torn apart, and, and there are situations where we're not, uh, we, we feel like, when is God going to provide for us, right, church? When are we going to get off the back burner? Because it felt like we were always pushed to the sides and everything, and we're wondering and wondering and questioning and fearing, and, and all these things are going on. And, and I'll remind you, just like Abram had to do when he was faced with a situation, he had to pivot. He had to change course. Guess what? You can't get into the promised land yet. There's Canaanites. So what did Abram do? He went and he set up his shop somewhere else. You know why? Because he said, well, if God's got me here, God's not going to abandon me now. And the final thing that I want to, because I see the time, but I don't care. The final thing that I want to remind this church of that I get from this passage in Genesis is that when the situation changed, when, when Abram had to be faced with maybe this journey is going to be a lot longer than I had originally anticipated, 
the thing that he did was he ended up building an altar and worshiping the name of God. And do not forget, if there's anything else, that there is power in worship. That when we are faced with problems and when we are faced with confusion and fear and and not sure what we are going to do as a church, that when we come together and worship and invoke in the name of the Lord, everything else is secondary. Everything else is secondary. Because when we are relying on God through the challenges, then the challenges will figure themselves out. And I know, church, y'all are going to be just fine. You may or may not know the guy that's coming after me. He's a good guy. I like him a lot. Y'all are going to be just fine. But do not, do not lose the, the remembrance of why we come together and do this. And it's to worship God. It's to be more like Christ. It's to be molded by each other, to, to, to grow with one another, to be uh, influenced by one another, to find joy in one another, and to worship Christ. Because eventually our faith, if done long enough and strong enough, goes straight through there. And all of us are going to have crosses that we will have to pick up in our lives. But if we forget why we're doing it, then all it is is martyrdom with no cause. So we have to remember that when we come together, when we worship and when we praise God, that is what we were created to do. And that is what is going to get us through all of our ups and downs. Before I pray us out, uh, I, I just want to say that um, the song that we are closing with is probably my favorite hymn in the entire wide world um, because I think that it is a good reminder of what our mission is as Christians, and that is to love. That is to work together and to allow other people to know the reason why we are who we are is because of love and we pay that love forward to other people. And so, church, would you please join us for our final hymn, um, They Will Know We Are Christians By Our Love. <laughs>